We continue this morning to work through the book of Galatians. We're spending seven weeks in the book of Galatians, and if, if you've been around, you know that Paul is really, really, really pushing this gospel thing. Uh, week after week, we've seen how Paul in the book of Galatians is showing us how the truth of the message of the gospel has power to transform us in all areas of our life. And so week after week, passage after passage, Paul is drawing out the implications and the riches of the gospel, how in Christ God has rescued us from our sins, rescued us from this present evil age, that he has substituted himself in our place by being born of a woman, born under law, redeeming us from the condemnation of the law. Last week we saw how for those who are united to Christ, we've been clothed in Christ, clothed in His righteousness, so that our identity now is forever fixed in Him. And whenever the Father looks upon us, He sees the perfect righteousness of Christ. Paul, week after week, is expounding the riches and the wonders of the gospel and fleshing it out in our lives. Well, as we come now to chapter 5, there is a pivot in the whole book. Now, by the way, in all of the epistles in Scripture, they work this way. They begin at the beginning, expounding the riches of the gospel, and they turn to application in the end and say, now, in light of this, of all that he has done, this is now how we're to live. And that is the pivot that we find ourselves at here in the book of Galatians. And so Paul, having displayed the wonders of the gospel, now comes to chapter 5 and says, now this is the big implication for you. This is the application for your life based upon all that he has done on your behalf. You know what he says? You are free. That's the reality now. That's the implication now. Paul says, you are free forever. This is Paul's Braveheart moment. You ever seen Braveheart? It's my favorite movie. I love it. It's all about William Wallace leaving, leading the Scots uh, who would not be ruled by the tyranny of the King of England. And they fight with great courage. And there's, at the end of the movie, he's been taken captive. And they're torturing him to try to get him to recant. And they're about to execute him. And it comes to that climax of the whole movie and they say do you wish to recant and they they notice that he has something to say and they get down close to hear what he's going to say and he hollers out what does he holler freedom what a moment that's what paul's doing here in chapter five he says do you see you're free freedom that's what he's saying here Now, freedom, what a powerful experience. If you've ever experienced freedom, it's precious. It's the the feeling of being fully alive, right? Of being, of arriving at what we've been made to be. You know, I think, whenever I think about freedom, I think back to whenever I was 16 years old. And I had just gone and taken my driver's license test, and I passed... And now I'm leaving the place and I'm all on my own in my truck. You know, I'm driving away and there's nobody else in there. 
and I'm driving too fast, and I got the radio cranked up, and I'm just feeling free, wide open, and dangerous, very dangerous. But I was free. You know that feeling? Some of us just experience that feeling of freedom. This is graduation season, right? And so after having been burdened with the slavery of school for years and years and years, now you're free, finally. You know, what happens at the graduation ceremony? Everybody throws their hats into the air and they yell out because they're free. Of course, in a couple months, you've got to go to work. So the freedom doesn't last, right? We probably have all tasted freedom in our life, but... What might be a more common experience for us is a longing for freedom, is a lack of freedom, is a sense of burden, of weightiness, of heaviness that you cannot get out from under. And I think about this, I think about to another experience in my life. You might not know this about me, but my degree in college was in landscape architecture, which makes a lot of sense now that I'm a pastor, but beside the point. So I wanted to like dig holes and plant trees for the rest of my life. And um, throughout the summers, I would work with landscapers, you know, just to get experience and to learn more. And uh, if you've ever worked for a landscaper, you know that it is the modern, modern day form of slavery. And so I was a slave this particular summer. And my boss was a slave driver, probably the best slave driver I've ever seen. I mean, he knew how to enforce such fear and such pressure upon you that you would work harder than you've ever imagined, right? And it was never enough. He was always riding us. He rode us like a rented mule all summer long. It was never enough. You could never meet his standards. He could never be pleased. He was never satisfied. And right whenever he'd show up, in fact, on his truck, he had this big, huge truck that you could hear coming from a mile away, and you'd feel, you'd feel fear welling up in your heart as he was coming because he was going to inspect your work, and it was going to fail. But he had this sticker on the back of his truck, big old sticker, and it said whining on it, and it had a line through it. Like, I don't put up with whining. It was bondage. It was burden. He could never be pleased. Where do you experience burden in your life? Where in your life do you feel the heaviness of not measuring up, of being compelled, of being under a heavy weight? For some of us, it might be your work. Some of us might be in a situation where we have a boss who cannot be pleased who's always driving, who what you do is never enough, it's never satisfying, you can never meet that standard. Or whenever you do arrive and you accomplish something, here's the response you get. Good job. Now do it again. This time, 20% more. Can you relate to that? For some of us, it might be our finances. I mean, what in our life more tangibly feels like a heavy weight than finances? than having expenses that you're tied to, than being in debt. Debt is such a tangible experience of slavery because you literally belong to someone else. You're working for someone else. Do you know that weight in the area of your finances? For some of us, it might be a particular relationship, 
a relationship where you never measure up, where they can never be pleased, where you're never completely right with one another. Maybe you're always on eggshells in a particular relationship. For some of us, it might be an addiction. What a tangible experience of bondage to be controlled by a created thing. Such a weighty, heavy experience. But for many of us, at least at some time or another, the Christian life can feel like a burden. God can easily feel like He can never be pleased, like it's never enough, like I never measure up. I'm comparing myself, I'm trying to meet a standard, but I never arrive. Can He be pleased? Where for you in your life do you experience burden, heaviness? Where do you long for freedom? Well, in our passage this morning, Paul has got good news for us. He's got really good news because he fires off right in the first verse and he says, in light of everything that Christ has done, in your place, as your perfect substitute, you are free. He says it right there in the first verse. Christ is has set you free. You see, that's a completed action in the past. It's an objective reality. He's not offering something. He doesn't say, maybe you can be free. He says, Christ has set you free already. It's complete. You are free. And that freedom has implications in every single area of your life. And that's what Paul wants us to see here. You're free. Based upon what He's done, His taking of your place, He's removed all the condemnation of the law. He's presented you to the Father fully right in His sight. You've been clothed in His righteousness. That freedom supersedes all other bondages. You are free. But He's not only declaring to us a freedom. He's also showing us right there in the very first sentence what the goal for that freedom is. Did you notice that? Look again carefully at what he says. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. In other words, the goal for which Christ set you free was that you experience freedom. See, the implication here is that it is possible to have been set free, but yet live like you're in bondage. You see that? Another way to say this very first sentence is, Christ set you free so that you would live free in every area of your life. That's what he's saying here. So it's possible to be a son, fully delighted in by the Father, but yet live like a slave. It is possible to be sitting in the prison cell with the door locked from the inside, holding the key. It is possible for the shackles that have bound you to be unlocked but to still sit in them. That's the implication here. Paul is saying, Christ set you free so that you would live free, so that you would be free in every respect in your life, so that you would live freely and fully before Him. And that's why in the very next verse, he says, very next sentence, he says this, Stand firm then. That's His command to us. That's His call to us. Christ set you free so that you would live free. So here's what you got to do. Because our tendency is to return 
to slavery. Our tendency is to return to the law, our performance, relying upon ourselves, depending upon our achievement to be right before the Father and before other people. That's our tendency. That was the tendency of the Galatians. Paul says to them, stand firm and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. A yoke is a a wooden frame that's put on the back of an animal so that you can pull a heavy weight. What's he talking about here? He's talking about the law, the yoke of slavery. In essence, it's not just the law, but it's coming underneath any standard and depending upon that to be right before God. It's a yoke of slavery. That's what the experience of it is like. And that was the reality for the Galatians. They were being tempted, though they had been set free, to go back to their standing with God being based on what they do. Trying to be justified by law is what he says here. He says in doing that, in relying upon yourself, you're being alienated from Christ. You're falling away from grace. That's what he's saying here to them. So Paul's message is, You've got, to stand, you've got to stand firm in your freedom. You've got to guard the gospel in your heart. Because as we've been talking about week in, week out, the tendency is to enter the Christian life based upon the complete merits of Christ alone. That it be grace alone, that you enter with great joy and freedom, but then we move so very quickly to relying upon ourselves, our performance, our achievement, how we look before other people, the things that we have and do. We look to all of these things to be right before Him. We begin with the gospel, but we try to grow through our own efforts. And what Paul is saying here is, that is returning to slavery. You're free. He set you free that you might live free, so you got to stand. you got to take your stand on the gospel. You've got to guard it in your heart. You've got to constantly be reminding yourself and fleshing out the implications of all that Christ has finished on your behalf. That's the implication here. Freedom is a little bit scary, isn't it? Doesn't freedom, full freedom, make you a little bit nervous? You know, wait a minute. If you tell me I'm free, then I might just not show up here anymore preacher man. If you tell me I'm free, you know what I'm going to do? I might not read my Bible anymore. I might not obey anymore. You know, so we think we need to add a little law to that, you know, temper the grace a little bit. You know, sure you need to have freedom unless you're getting too free. Then you need a little law on top of that. That's kind of the logic we operate out of. As a young believer, that was kind of my logic. As I've mentioned before, I was a really conscientious young believer. And if I didn't have a quiet time in the morning, throughout the day I felt condemned. I felt like I had fallen out of the favor of God. And, you know, from the outside it's like, what? That's a little silly. You really think you're saved by your quiet times? But it was deeply internal. My conscience was compelled by it. And I remember a guy that was discipling me one time, pushing me to grasp and to see the wonders and the extent of the gospel for me and how free I was, you know what he said to me? He said, I dare you not to have your quiet time. I said, whoa, that feels a little reckless. What are you talking about here? He said, I dare you. You you are thinking, what a stiff. Are you kidding? This is what he had to dare you to? (laughs) Yes. 
He said, I dare you to not have your quiet time. And that scared me. Because I told him, you know what? I might, I might not if you threaten me with that. He said, I trust you'll be okay. You know what it did? It set me free. My times with the Lord were rich, were full, because I realized that it was not a way to earn His favor. It was not a way to please Him. Rather, it was coming to experience my acceptance. It transformed Him. Paul says, you're free. And the immediate question that pops up here is, well, then how do we live? If I'm so free, if I'm so completely free, does it matter how I live? Does it matter what I do? Paul says, oh, you bet. It matters more than it ever did before. How do we live? That's where Paul goes in verse 13. Paul says, you, my brothers, were called to be free. He repeats it. You're called to live in freedom completely. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. You see, that's going all the way back to slavery. You see, to use your freedom to serve you, which is the orientation of our flesh. The orientation of our sinful nature is to live for me. Paul says, don't use your freedom to do that. That's going back into slavery. So how do we live? How do we use our freedom? Rather, serve one another in love. Now that's pretty simple, right? Paul says, here's what you're free to do. Here's what your freedom leads you to. Here is the total sum of all that you're to do with your life, having now been accepted in Christ. Serve one another in love. Love. That's it. If you love, you fulfilled the whole law. Did you see he says that in the very next sentence? He says the, the entire, verse 14, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says it's the whole thing. It's the whole shooting match. The whole law is about this one thing, loving your neighbor as yourself. You see, Paul says you are free. You know what you're free to do now? You're free to do what you've been made to do. Love one another. You're freed from yourself. You're freed from trying to secure your standing, from trying to measure up, from trying to one-up everybody else, from trying to look good, from trying to establish some sort of identity in what we have or what we do. He says, you're free. Your identity's in Him. You're fully accepted. You belong to Him. He delights in you. You're free from all of those things. Now, give yourself away to others. Live your life for others. Love. And love is only expressing what we've received in Christ. That's all it is. There's a direct connection between your receiving love from Christ and expressing it to others. Inseparably connected. Did you see that in verse 6? Verse 6 is an absolutely wonderful verse. I know I say that about a lot of these verses in here, but this one's great. It's really a summation of the whole Christian life. Look at verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, that is, 
in union with Christ by faith. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. So what's he referring to here? Now remember, the temptation for the Galatians was to go back to circumcision, was to go back to trying to keep the whole Mosaic law as a way to be justified before God. And so in this little formula here, circumcision represents scrupulous religiousness. That is, conscientiously obeying all of the rules, doing everything perfectly. And Paul says, in Christ, that has no value. But then also, uncircumcision has no value. What's he referring to? The exact opposite. That is the experience of saying, you know what? It doesn't matter what I do. I'll just do whatever I want to do. It doesn't matter if I'm a part of the body. It doesn't matter if I worship. It doesn't matter if I have a quiet time or any of these things. It doesn't matter. I'm free. I'll do whatever I want to do. You see, it's a picture of legalism, circumcision, and license, uncircumcision. And Paul says in Christ, neither one has any value at all. They're worthless. Scrupulous rule-keeping to be accepted before him, worthless. Throwing it all off, I'm free. I'll do whatever I want to do because I'm serving my happiness. It's worthless. What counts? What matters? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's a summary of the whole Christian life. The only thing that matters, says Paul, what the whole thing is about is faith in Christ that's expressed in love. Faith in Christ is receiving. It's not doing at all. It's just receiving the magnitude of His love for you. It's relying upon Him, depending upon Him. Paul says that is the core of how we're saved and how we grow. And whenever we rest in Him, whenever we trust in all that Christ has done on our behalf, Paul says that is expressed in love. Faith in Christ leads to love. It produces love. It energizes love. How does it do that? Because what we believe is that we're free in Him. That we have all things in Christ. And so you're liberated from you. You're liberated from trying to build your identity, to build your righteousness. You are free to live for others. It's that self-forgetfulness we talked about a few weeks ago. Only the gospel brings self-forgetfulness. So it is faith in Christ that produces and is expressed in love for one another in our life. Paul says, that's what it's all about. That's what the whole Christian life is about. Now love is, it's a concept that's been a little twisted in our culture, right? Love is not a feeling. It can come with feelings, but it's not a feeling. In our culture, love is essentially a feeling that you have because of what you've received from another. Well, the biblical picture of love is almost the complete opposite. It's action. It's giving yourself away. It's something that I show to someone else because I choose to, based on nothing that I receive. Love is giving. It's giving yourself away to another. It's obligating yourself with the troubles of another. It's entering into the messiness of someone's life with love and encouragement and care and help. That's love. 
He says it right there in the verse. Serve one another in love. Love is always accompanied by action. You see, one thing that's real important for us to understand as Southerners is love is not the same thing as niceness, right? This is very hard, I know. We think if we've been nice to someone, then we have sufficiently loved them, right? They're not the same thing, I promise. You know, in in the South, we'll, we'll be nice and kind and we'll say good things to your face and then we'll go away and we'll just kill them with our words, right? I loved them because I was nice to their face. That is not love. In fact, in the South, if you hear what someone say, oh, bless their heart. Oh, we need to pray for them, bless their heart. Get ready because you're about to hear some good gossip, right? (laughs) That's how it works. That's not love. Niceness is not love. Love is action. It's service. It's laying your desires and your needs aside for the good of another. And it's not just big kind of stuff. It's in all kinds of little things. Whenever you take someone a meal, they've just had a baby, they're sick, or just out of the blue, just show up with a meal. You've loved them. Whenever you encourage someone, you speak affirming words into their life. Whenever you call them, write them a note. Whenever you go visit them if they're sick. Whenever you open your home to someone. Whenever you open your home to someone that doesn't get homes open to. Someone that's lonely and unconnected. That's love. Whenever you forget your spouse. Forget. There's a slip there. Whenever you forgive your spouse. I'm getting exposed here. (laughs) Whenever you forgive your spouse, even if they don't deserve it, especially when they don't deserve it, and whenever you know that they're going to do it again, over and over and over, that is love. Love is giving yourself away to others. It's serving one another in love. And Paul says it's the whole point. We're gathered here together, not just to get a message, not just to grow personally, not just to get fed. We are here together to be one, to serve one another in love. And the scriptures tell us, as we just sang earlier, that's how he gets glorified in the world. That's how the world knows that we are in union with him as we love one another. And what Paul tells us in our passage, only the gospel frees you to completely love. Because it removes self-motivation altogether. You're free from you. If he's poured out the riches of heaven on you already, you're free to give your life away. You're set free. And so Paul calls on us to believe and to rest and to depend more and more deeply upon the riches of the gospel. To flesh out the implications of all that Christ has accomplished for us in all areas of our life. And Paul says the result will be love. I don't know why my boss thought that the best way to get us to do good work and to work hard was to ride us and to apply pressure to us and to make us afraid. I don't know. From talking to many of you, I know that's how things work in your world too. 
in our world so often the way that we try to motivate people to do things, whether it be a work situation or in your home or wherever, is we use fear. Now, fear is a powerful motivator, right? Fear gets, it gets results quick. This past week at our house, Ashley and I, the boys, were walking you know, in our backyard and we are going to go play at the, the, the little playground over there. There was about a five-foot snake right in the middle of the path. And I mean to tell you, you should have seen us move. I mean, I, I might have been outrun by my boys. Fear is a powerful, powerful motivator, but it doesn't last. It doesn't last because it's external. Some of us think that's the way that God motivates us through fear. Let me tell you, he doesn't. He doesn't. He's after a motivation that's far deeper and far more liberating, like grace, gratitude, worship. Nothing will move you more than worship as you come to see the wonders of the gospel in Christ. That is how he motivates us to live. That's what leads us to a life of love that is active where you are willing to die to yourself for the sake of others, where you're willing to limit yourself, to constrict yourself in love for others. That's the kind of freedom he's calling us to. Would we be a community that is free, that lives in that freedom, that guards it, so that we would live to love one another? Let's pray together.